The presenting sponsor of Behind the Beak is Down in Front Productions. DIFP is a video production company located in Birmingham, Alabama that strives to provide high-quality video services for your business or event at very competitive prices with a personal approach. They specialize in sporting events, weddings, and business videography, but also provide recording and video editing work for other events such as seminars, commercials, and concerts. Give Dustin and the crew a call at 205-588-0868 or visit them at difpbham.com. That's D-I-F-P-B-H-A-M.com to see how they can help you. Down in Front Productions, the presenting sponsor of Behind the Beat. Behind the Beat, the official podcast of Jacksonville State Athletics. Now, here's your host, Tyler Brown. Hello, everyone, and welcome into Behind the Beat, the official podcast of Jacksonville State Athletics. I'm Tyler Brown, and this is episode number 24 of the series. My guest today is head men's and women's golf coach James Hobbs. I'll be talking with him in just a few moments, but first, a few housekeeping notes. If you missed last week's installment, head softball coach, the GOAT, Jana McGinnis, And former Gamecock Ellen Dennis joined me to talk about the 2016 softball team season, getting crowned Jacksonville State's top Division I moment since joining the Division I ranks. It received more votes than football's 2010 win over Ole Miss in the Gamecock Madness Bracket Challenge Finals to take the title. If you want to give it a listen, all previous episodes of the podcast can be streamed at gsugamecocksports.com slash podcasts and on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. For those two platforms, just search Behind the Beak. Again, thanks so much to everyone that voted, shared, and participated in Gamecock Madness. It was a lot of fun to post the polls and the results each day and to watch the numbers, and I hope that you enjoyed seeing the results each day as well. I felt like it definitely made my day a little brighter while we were in the throes of the pandemic shutdown. Also online, a few notes to hit from last week, beginning with some basketball news. Following up the Male Eagle Owl Award release from a couple of weeks ago, that award went to football senior Josh Brady. Women's basketball senior Chloe Long was named the Women's Eagle Owl Award winner last week. The Eagle Owl Award is given each season to the top male and female senior athletes for their athletic, academic, and community-related accolades, and Chloe fit the bill this year. Long, who overcame an early career injury and recently graduated with her degree in exercise science and wellness, is currently pursuing her master's in business. On the court, she played more games than any Gamecock in the Division I era, In nearly 3,000 minutes of floor time, she compiled 700 rebounds, 609 points, 141 assists, 119 blocks, and 93 steals. She shot a career 416 clip from the field. And for that story and to watch her interview with Mike Paris, head on over to JSUGamecockSports.com. On the men's side, Ray Harper announced the signing of point guard Jalen Finch, a 6'1 transfer from Florida Southwestern State. Finch averaged 9.9 points and 5.1 assists per game while shooting 46% en route to a first-team all-conference bid and perfect 24-0 record in league play last season. In two years in Fort Myers, Florida, he never saw his Buccaneers lose a conference game and helped his squad to two Suncoast Conference championship titles. He is the eighth member of Harper's 2020 recruiting class. 
For more on that, visit the men's basketball webpage. In the classroom, a fantastic year for Gamecock athletics all around. JSU student-athletes turned in a 3.47 GPA for the spring semester and a 3.31 GPA for the 2019-2020 academic year. Despite the COVID-19 outbreak, it is the highest GPA in department history, so congratulations to all of our student-athletes for hitting the books and staying committed to combine to break that record. I would encourage you all to go online and give that story a read. We're all extremely proud of our Gamecocks for their academic performance this season. Also online right now, At Home with the Gamecocks, presented by Ford, visited with Edram Track and cross-country head coach Matthew Boone. Episode number 20 of that series, hosted by the voice of the Gamecocks, Mike Paris, is available now at jsugamecocksports.com and on YouTube. Lastly, six Gamecock golfers were named to the All-OVC teams last week. On the men's side, Jesus Montenegro, Kim Vidal-Mora, and Patricio Front-Thern received the honors, while Lane Dyer, Claire Vermette, and Ana Perez-Altuna earned the awards on the women's side. And that leads me into this week's guest. Head golf coach James Hobbs has been at Jacksonville State since 1977, coming on as an assistant men's basketball coach to begin his Gamecock career. He took over the golf programs in 1983, and between coaching the three programs, he is one of the most decorated coaches in JSU history. A member of the JSU Athletics Hall of Fame, he helped lead the Gamecocks to the Division II Men's Basketball National Championship in 1985. And on the golf side, he has made 15 NCAA regional appearances, has claimed 13 conference titles, and has been voted Conference Coach of the Year nine times in his career. He takes us through his career, discusses the rise of Jacksonville State golf, and we'll even talk a little basketball. Here is head golf coach, the Hall of Famer, James Hobbs. On the podcast today, head golf coach James Hobbs. And Coach Hobbs, thanks so much for joining me. Thank you, Tyler. Good to be here. Well, Coach, uh, first of all, how are you? How are your family? How's everyone kind of dealing with uh, everything that's going on right now? Uh, everybody's fine. We're um, we're glad to be back at work, and uh, hopefully this thing is going to kind of start to go downhill and uh, – Hopefully, you know, we'll, we'll get back going again here in the fall and school will resume and we'll have student athletes back on campus and we'll have a fall season and we'll have fall sports. I think that's very important for our university. And so I'm, I'm just looking forward to when things kind of return to its normalcy around here. How did the pandemic and all of the closings, the season cancellations, how did that kind of affect your student athletes seeing as most of them were foreign? Well, it was very difficult for uh, all of my players, uh, even those that are domestic players, you know. Um, it was so unexpected, uh, and it was just kind of dropped in on, you know, we're, we're at the golf course, and we're, we're practicing, and we're getting ready to go off and play two tournaments. And the next thing you know, uh, our season has been put on the shelf, and, and then – just a few days later, everything was canceled. So it was really a, uh, it was difficult to, um, for players to be able to swallow that pill. Uh, it was difficult for me as well. I, I, I felt like that I had, uh, that we had two really good teams. Our, our women's team was really starting to play very, very well. Uh, and, you know, they were, they were gearing up for a conference championship and 
they were the lowest ranked team in the conference championship by like 25 spots. Uh, and, I, and I had several uh, girls that were really starting to hit their stride. And then for our men's team, you know, we had won the championship three years in a row and we were um, really beginning to really play well. We had two players playing very consistent and we had another one that was playing some, his his game was really beginning to, uh, to get real consistent. So um, it, it was um, it was hard to see both teams put on the shelf like that, especially with what their goals were and what our goals were, and and uh, the momentum that we were beginning to build toward those achievements. Um, and you know, for our players, uh, especially those international players that we have, uh, there was so much uncertainty in their home countries and there still is. Uh, so uh, them being so far away from home and not knowing how everything was going to play out, um, it, it put some real stress on players. And um, so it was, a, it was a difficult time for everyone. Coach, I know you're a big griller. You've gone through two tanks of gas since uh, the pandemic started and you've been at home and you've also got a, a pellet smoker that you use and uh uh, the cafeterias were still open, and there were some still some fast food places open. Uh, you took it upon yourself to give your golfers some home cooked meals, and uh, so tell me about uh, cooking for the team and how you're able to do that. Well, I, I, I always try. We've since uh, I have an outdoor kitchen, which is really something that uh, I did several years ago, and I, I should have done it years and years ago because I, I do like to cook out and I do like to grill and I do like to have players over and I, li I like to do meals for players and for different groups um, but normally what I do is I do a I do an early fall meal uh, where I have all the players out and I'll do hamburgers and hot dogs and you know just a general basic barbecue and then I'll have a Christmas dinner for everybody before they go home for Christmas and then normally in the spring after our conference championships or before our conference championships, I'll generally try to have everybody back over and, and do another grilling and I'll, I'll do barbecue ribs or um, uh, sausage, a uh, Koneka sausage or something like that. And so uh, with our season being shut down prematurely, a couple of the players were like, when are you going to do some ribs for us? When are you going to do some ribs? And when are you going to do some ribs? And so... Uh, we were at the grocery store, Sandra and I, and she said, "Why don't we do? Why don't we buy some ribs and do some ribs for the players? And I'll do some pasta salad and baked beans, and and we won't have them over, but we'll just have them come out and pick it up." So, I slapped about uh, probably about twelve slabs of ribs on the on the smoker, and I smoked them all day. And I I, I sent word out to everybody, you know, I'll, I'll have I'll have a plate of ribs for you baked beans and pasta you'll have to come over and get it and i'll have it ready for you and i'll have it ready at six o'clock and so you know i had you know i just I, you know it was just uh, come and get it take it back to wherever you wanted to take it back and enjoy and uh you know i have a couple of players that accuse me of going to cooter browns and buying <laughs> the ribs uh but i do do it myself so i i, I can't uh I do take some high-level high kidding about uh, my smoker grill. 
I would say that's uh, some pretty high praise if you're getting uh, accused of stealing yeah. some grips from Peter Browns. Yeah, you know, and I tell my players all the time, you know, if if you can if you can eat them at Cooter Browns better than this, that's where you need to go eat. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, but we do have a little fun with it along the way. Well, Coach, I, I really miss going to the conference tournament this year. That's always a very fun event, both of them, men's and women's tournaments. Um, the golf teams are very close, and it's always enjoyable to get out there and watch them and see how they perform. Between the two men's and women's golf tournaments, let's see, you had four men's golf tournaments canceled, three women's golf tournaments canceled, and uh, you had just mentioned, as you know, that many of them were beginning to really play well. And uh, luckily, just over the past week, the OVC released an all-conference team, which we were very happy to see. Uh, three men made the team, Jesus Montenegro, Patricio Frontthern, and Kim Vidal-Mora. And then on the women's side, Lane Dyer, Claire Vermette, and Anna Perez-Altuna. And so talk about those six players and the conference being able to go ahead and push those teams through and give the student-athletes their awards. Well, it was a good move on on the part of the OVC to uh, go ahead and award our awards this year. Uh, I, I think uh, from Kyle's uh, perspective, Kyle Swartz, uh, we had uh, uh, about 70% of er- every school in the conference had completed that much of their season. So we had a good statistic uh, background to award uh, all conference players, even though we didn't have our championship, uh, I, I was really pleased with the the three girls. Um, Claire was really uh, was really beginning to play some really outstanding golf, and Anna was had been consistent all year, uh, but she had just broken par in her last tournament, and so you know that the, the the hardest time to break par is the first time. You know, you get it. You you, you got to get out of your comfort zone to be able to do that. And and so Claire and and um, and Anna both had broken par, and so things were really starting to look uh, very promising for both of them. And of course, Claire was freshman of the year last year, and this is the first time for Anna to make all conference. But the real surprise was Lane Dyer. Uh, she you can just go back and look at her entire season. And uh, she wound up with a low 76-stroke average, and I think it was ninth in the conference ranking. Uh, and so, you know, she pretty much came from nowhere to, to make all conference, and that was just a great accom- accomplishment for her. On the men's side, uh, Jesus and Kim were both, um, they were both 1-2 in the conference as far as uh, stroke average uh, and uh, wins against conference uh, opponents when we had seen those conference opponents. So they were having, uh, both of them were having outstanding years. And I think statistically speaking, uh, both of them had a minor stroke average. So they were both playing at at an under par uh, stroke average. And then Patricio was just coming on really strong as, as the season wore on. Uh, and so we had a, we were really gearing up to have a, a really good one, two, three punch. And, uh, I, I don't think there was anybody in the conference that could match those three. Uh, it was just a matter of who's going to play the, the fourth and fifth spot for us on the men's side. Um, so, uh, that, that speaks very highly of our program, 
both programs to have three out of the ten players chosen. And if we had a, a first and second team, I, I think we'd have had three first-teamers on the men's side and we'd had two first-teamers on the men on the women's side. So that, that speaks volumes for what our players were able to accomplish this year in a, in, in a shortened season. I think the, the wildest stat that was out there was that those three guys that were named to the all-OVC team, their record against OVC opponents was 223-5. and five, And then Jesus himself had a 76-0 and o mark. Mm-hmm. And I think if there's any good news that we can pull from the season with everything being canceled, it's that Jesus, reigning OVC medalist, is going to get to come back next year. And uh, he was supposed to be a senior this year. There were some eligibility issues coming out of high school for him. Now, Jesus is going to be able to get that year back and play again next year. And so, if you will, just take me through that situation and how that amateur rule came into play. He had a year taken from him, and now he gets it back and give maybe some clarification on that. Well, the amateur rule um, allows a student athlete in in most of the Olympic sports to take one year off after their graduation. In other words, uh, you, you, you graduate in June and you can go to the next June uh, and have one full year where you don't have to go to college and you can compete all you want to. But then after that June date, uh, you would have to start school in August, your first opportunity to start school after you set one year. And with Jesus's situation, he graduated in Argentina in December. And so he goes all the way through to the next December uh, and without going to school. So his first opportunity to go to school would have been uh, in the January semester. And, and he was not prepared to do that. So he waits until August to start school here. So he goes a year and virtually a half. But during that time, from uh, December to August, he played in three tournaments. And so that uh, set in motion the amateur rule, which he, if he had not have played in those tournaments, the rule would not have been in effect. But since he played three tournaments during that period where he should have been in school, they docked him a year of competition. Or eligibility, so uh, he didn't do anything wrong. He just didn't start school after that one-year period. Uh, we were hoping that we could make some kind of appeal and get that back, since he played in so few events, and they were really not important events at that. So, um, but then with the pandemic and the cancellation of the season and him getting a year back, we didn't really have to do that. So that 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 allows him to come back and replay his senior year <clears throat> and the good thing is uh you know he was able to get in 70 percent of our season this year uh and you know he's now down into the low 500s in the world uh, collegiate amateur rankings which is uh, uh that's very very good uh he's played in two straight u.s amateurs so we'll have him back for a year which is which is just the best news that we could have had, and it's the really the, the if there's anything good that's that's come out of this whole scenario is the fact that he does get a year back. Um, so we're excited for him, and and 
he's on track to graduate. So he would have been here as a three-year player and it would, would have had to come back to school to graduate and paid his own way. And so it would have been very, very unfair. That That's the unfairness of that rule. Uh, he didn't do anything during that six-month period that he was out to really gain any kind of competitive advantage. Uh, but that's that's where the rule's written. So that's how we that's what we had to live with. Uh, and then Lane, being a senior on the women's side, she's made the decision that she's going to come back and play another year as well. Uh, even though she's just about to graduate with her master's degree, um, you know we're delighted that she's going to give it another shot for for a year. So we pick up two really good players there that have an opportunity to come back and play one more year. And coach, compliance is something that you're uh, very familiar with. You've been here since 1983. You're the longest tenured staffer we have, and during that time, you've been the uh, head golf coach assistant basketball coach you served as an assistant ad and you were also the first full-time compliance officer at jacksonville state so you know going back to 1983 you come here from montevallo you had uh, coached at the high school level tell me about your career here and everything that you've accomplished and you know on top of that you're one of four current staff members that's a member of the Jacksonville State Hall of Fame. Jana McGinnis, your office neighbor, is one of those, Tracy Broom and Ed Lett, the others. And so, you know, take me through your career and everything since 1983, how much you've seen everything grow and then the positions that you've had. Yeah, well, I actually came here in 77. I took over golf in 83. I came here in in 77 and I was an assistant basketball coach. I spent two years uh, at Gadsden State, and I spent two years at, at Northeast uh, Alabama Junior College up in Rainsville. Uh, so I'd had four years of head coaching experience in the junior college, and then I spent one year coaching high school right after I got out of college uh, at Irwin High School in Birmingham. Uh, and then prior to that, my year that I was a GA at Montevallo, I was pretty much the assistant basketball coach. I did everything that a full-time assistant did. Um, So when I came here, um, I left a head junior college job to take an assistant job here, but I felt like that it was the best move that I could make professionally because I I had watched Jacksonville uh, not only as, as a boy growing up, but I had watched and played against JSU as, as a collegiate player at Montevallo. And so I recognized the tradition that JSU had in basketball and some of their other sports as well. Uh, so when I came here in 77, I was thrilled to get that opportunity. Uh, and I worked the summer camps as a secondary job uh, during the summertime and then when I was given the opportunity to, to, to move into golf and uh, do away with the summer job that I had, uh, I was, you know, I wasn't prepared to coach golf, but I was thrilled to get out of that job. Uh, and and I enjoyed playing golf and I enjoyed being around golf. So I thought it might be a good change of pace for me as well. Uh, but for 16 years, I did both. I was an assistant basketball coach, and that was my primary duties. And then I coached golf in the early fall, and then I would send somebody with my team in the late fall, and then I would come back and 
and send my team off in the early spring while I was still coaching basketball. And then when basketball season would come to an end, then I would go back with the golf program and finish out the season with the golf program. And then in the summertime, I would recruit basketball players. And back then, there wasn't a, lot, a whole lot of summer play in basketball other than basketball camps. So most of my summer was spent recruiting golfers, and most of my uh, winter was, was spent recruiting basketball players. So I really never did have any time off for myself. Uh, and then when we made the decision to go to Division One, uh, the rule back in that day was that you said two years in compliance, uh, which we did. We made the move in 93, and we didn't move up until 95. Uh, but we were going to have at least a eight-year period after our two-year compliance, which is 10 years where we couldn't play in the championship, and we couldn't even play in a conference championship. And so I knew it as a basketball coach that wasn't something I wanted to do. I didn't want to sit 10 years with the success that we had enjoyed as a basketball program. And so I made the decision that I'd just coach golf, and then I moved into the compliance job as my other job and basically at that point in time we were a brand new division one program we didn't have a compliance department we didn't have a compliance person um so uh i was kind of got it off the ground and uh did that for two years and then when we joined the transamerica athletic conference the first rule they had is a coach couldn't be the compliance officer so I had to make the decision whether I was going to stay in compliance or I was going to coach, and I wasn't ready to get out coaching, so I stayed in coaching. Um, and then um, for two years, you know, I had done I had coached golf and compliance, and then uh, I, I kind of helped get the women's program off the ground in the uh, winter of '94 and the spring of '95 before we went full time Division One in the fall of '95. And I was going to do it for a year, and then we were going to hire somebody to kind of take the women's program, and I was going to stay in the men's program. And uh, that year has turned into <laughs> 25 years, and so uh, I, I'm still doing women's golf, and I'm still doing men's golf. Uh, but uh, uh, JSU's been a terrific place for me to work. Uh, I, I love the university. Uh, I've always uh, I've enjoyed the uh, community spirit, the family relationship that that exists here at JSU. Uh, you know, we we talk about it being a very friendly campus, and when I first came here, that was one of the things that kind of stood out about our campus and our uh, university family. It was it was it was an easy place to work. Everybody tried to help everybody very much a family. Um, you couldn't have a problem that, that someone wouldn't try to help you solve. Uh, and our athletes just loved the university athletic environment. Uh, it was an easy place to recruit student athletes. Uh, it was a easy place to have successful teams and successful players and to watch players um, really uh, develop and and mature as as young men and young women and so uh i i, I love the community in which i live uh, i've got a great church family and um i've been in the same house since i moved here in 77 so 
uh, apparently I like my house as well, uh, even though I've created a lot of work around it over the years. But uh, it's just been a good place to work. It's been a good place to live. It was a great place to raise children. Um, and, and it's been a, it's, it's, for me, uh, it's been a good place to, to grow old. Because uh, I'm, I'm, you know, you think seventy-seven. I, that's forty plus years, and so I've been here a long time, and and um, the place has never gotten old. Going back to your career as a basketball assistant, sixteen years as an assistant coach, you made eight Division two tournaments, two Final Fours, three Elite Eights, and then in nineteen eighty-five, you win the big when you win the Division two national championship. Yep. Tell me about that year and the magic that went along with it. Well, we had uh, we had our our eighty four eighty five ch- championship team uh, had been together for three years. Uh, that was our third year, basically, for most of them to be together. And so we had won twenty six games uh, when most of them were uh, freshmen and sophomore, and then. The next year, I think we come back and won 28 games. I'm not exactly sure exactly how many it was. And then, so we we had everybody back, and we were able to pick up a junior college guard named Pat Williams out of Jeff State. And we 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 thought we had we we were just missing one really solid guy to come off the bench to help with our guard play. We had two terrific guards: Earl Warren and Melvin Allen. Um, we had three really good players on the inside, Keith McKellar, um, Robert Guyton, and Robert Spurgeon. And we picked up a, a freshman out of Atlanta named Kelvin Bryant. Uh, and he was kind of the missing link. Pat Williams and, and Kelvin Bryant was the missing link that really helped that team uh, reach the level of play that we were able to reach. So we knew we were going to be really good. And then we go to we go to a little tournament down in Savannah, Georgia, and, and – uh, um, we lose to Belmont Abbey, and, and they they probably had they probably had one guy that could have played on our team. Uh, that that's how poorly we played, and and it it you know we were we were probably overconfident. We were probably arrogant. We had a little. We you, good teams always have a little arrogance about them. Uh, good teams are always confident. And uh, that kind of woke us up. And after that, you know, we we just we started winning, and we knew we were good. Uh, and but um, we were really, as we as we started to roll and as we started to build up a win streak, you know, we it got up to twenty plus, and then it got high twenties, and there were a lot of people around town that felt like. We needed to take a loss that it would help us, and that I I didn't think anybody could beat us, and I, I didn't think we were going to lose. And our if you go back and look at the statistics on that team, we were really a better road team than we were at home team um, because we really had to go on the road and we had to we had to win some wars and. Um, we were capable of doing that and then we could come home and at, at home and you know we could we could play at three quarters and nobody could beat us and uh that's how good we were and we go to the championship and 
we win the uh, we win two games at home and regionals, and then we go to the quarterfinals. Um, and quarterfinals end was still played on the road, and we go to SEMO, Southeast Missouri, which is part of our conference now. And they had a great team. Uh, they were every bit as good as we were. And they led us the whole the whole game, and we get down to the end, and we foul a, a senior, and uh, we're down one. No three-point line, no shot clock. You know, we're we're this is eighty-five, and their their senior goes goes to the line and misses both free throws, and um, we we had four 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 seconds on the clock, and we get it to one guard. And he gives it to we have a guy rebound it, throw it, throws it out to our one guard, and he takes it, sprints it down the sideline, and gets fouled on the shot from about. 40 feet out and makes it. And so we don't even shoot the free throw. You know, it's just, just we win by one. And then um, we go to Springfield, Massachusetts, and we play Kentucky Westland. And you know who's playing for Kentucky Westland? Uh, our current basketball coach, Ray Harper. I think we beat Kentucky Westland by seven or eight or nine points. I'm not sure. I think it was nine-point win. And they had a really good team, and and um, you know I don't I don't they they traditionally uh, had a little bit more tradition than we did back then, and I don't think they thought we could beat them. Uh, I don't think they really thought we were as good as we were, and then we beat South Dakota State in the championship, and we were down. We made a basket with two o seven to go. We made a basket uh, to close to within five. We were down five. And it looked like, you know, there's no way we're going to win. They, they, Dick Vitale was doing it on ESPN uh, replay. Uh, back then, it was not a live game. And, you know, he's talking about, you know, virtually this game is over. And the next thing you know, you know, we've, we've stolen the ball on the press, gone down and scored, and got it down again, took it away from them again. And the next thing you know, with um, – seven or eight seconds on the clock, we were up by one. And uh, then they go down and they don't even get off a shot. We were, that's how good we were defensively. And so that was, uh, that's how we won the national championship in 85. And it was, it was really a good team. I, you know, I've, I've said uh, for years to different people that we had such a good team and they, they, they showed up every night. They, they never, ever took a night off except the first game of the season. That was the only night they ever took off. And they got beat. Uh, but they were not going to get beat again. 31-1 and one that season, mm -hmm. talking about that, that first uh, first yeah. loss. And then the final score of the Kentucky Wesleyan game was 72-61. That turned out to be Coach Ray Harper's final collegiate game. So that was 11 points with him, mm -hmm. yeah. And then this year, during the middle of uh, one of our men's basketball games, we hosted a reunion with that 1985 team. And so how was it for you to be able to see those guys? I know you've been in contact with them since then, but yeah. to have that many from the group back for a basketball game this year. Well, you, you get around that crowd, and I, I, I call that I call them a – you get around our team. A crowd's not a good way to describe them because they were, they were very much a team. Uh, they had a great competitive spirit. Um, they uh, they were all very unselfish. Uh, 
uh, in their attitude and in their demeanor. They didn't care who starred. We really didn't have a star on that team. We were we were so good, and there was nobody that you could, from night to night, that you could concentrate on. If you shut one of our guys down, somebody else is going, somebody else was going to go big that night. And so you you as if you were going to play us, you 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 had to take what medicine do you want to swallow? Do you want to try to concentrate on this guy, and this guy beat you? Or do you want to try to concentrate on this guy and have this guy beat you? Because we could beat you with any five guys that we had, and really any seven guys, because our, our two coming off the bench were so good. And that's what really made us good is because when Pat Williams came here as a guard and joined Melvin and, and Earl, we, we had three of the finest guards you, you could put on the floor at any one time. And they could all score. They could all defend. Uh, they could all run. Uh, they had great competitive attitude, and they loved, loved playing with each other, and, and they were so unselfish. It doesn't matter if Pat was on the floor and one of them was sitting on the sideline. Uh, and then on the inside, we had three of the most competitive players you've ever seen, and Keith McKellar, Robert Guyton, and Robert Spurgeon. And, and if, if Keith went out one night and got 12 rebounds, the next time you played, Robert Spurgeon was going to get 13. He was he, he was bound and determined that Keith was not going to get more rebounds than he got. And so uh, – and, and and Robert Guyton was MVP in the league that year and was – he was the most unsung player of the whole group. I mean, he just went out every night and did his thing. And, and, uh, and nobody resented anybody and everybody got along and everybody was for somebody. And if anybody had an off night – I, I didn't say they took a night off, but if they had an off night, somebody was going to pick up their slack and somebody was going to play better. And so you can look at our games in the in the championship, all five of them, and it was somebody every night that got the job done. And so uh, that was the remarkable thing about that team. And you get them back in the room now, uh, and it's been, what, 30 years, 35 years, and you 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 sense that competitive spirit, and you you they're all still unselfish toward each other. They all like each other. Um, they all trust each other, and trust is a big thing in team sports, especially basketball. Um, and they they. They had such a belief in each other that it didn't matter what happened. Somebody was going to get the job done night to night. You know, I've watched that Chicago Bulls series, The Last Dance, and, you know, if you watch that, you, you can see that also in the Chicago Bulls. You, you can see their championship teams had that. If somebody needed to pick up the slack somebody picked up the slack and that's what you could find from that team and it was just so much fun to be around them when they came back to campus because um they're 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 all so um confident and they're so they're confident without being arrogant but they're uh they have such a belief in each other and themselves
and coach flipping to uh, the golf side and it might take me a minute to get through all of these because if anyone's been in your office they know you've got a lot of accolades a lot of trophies hanging up in there 15 ncaa regional appearances seven-time ovc coach of the year two-time a sun coach of the year You've had four OVC men's golf championships, five women's golf championships, two A-Sun champs, six Division II tournaments, and then you were two-time GSC champions. And so since taking over in 1983, obviously Jacksonville State's program has grown tremendously. But also, how have you seen the game of golf change at the college level since you got into coaching? How much has it grown? Uh well, it's just hard to describe the the uh, how golf has evolved over the years. When I first started coaching golf here in 1983, I had a boy named Craig Stevens uh, who was from Vero Beach, Florida. And he came back that fall with a metal wood. <laughs> and... My team, like, we're not, we're not, we're not, uh-uh, no, <laughs> we're not doing that. And he's like, yeah, 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 this is the, this is going to be the thing. <laughs> so we were still playing with, with persimmon woods, and we were all playing basically with the same kind of steel shaft. And so uh, the game was, the game was, uh in the summertime, you know, there was not a whole lot of amateur events other than the boys' junior and and a few uh, amateur events statewide, for, but not much for juniors. Um, and so you, you basically had to recruit your players from high school back in the early days. And, and now you're at a point where high school golf really has no bearing on how good a player he is anymore. We don't even hardly look at the kid in, in high school because there's so many uh, junior tournaments and amateur tournaments, uh, and they're all year long. They're not just in the summertime. They're in the fall. They're in the, they're in the winter. They're in the spring. Uh, and then there are lots of them in the summertime. Uh, so everybody's playing at a much earlier age. Everybody's instruction is so much better. Uh, the equipment, the ball, so much better. Uh, so the game has just really made tremendous strides, and there's there are just so many good players out there now, and and they're and they're playing at a younger age, and and I used to take a player here, and my attitude would be, okay, I, I would go watch him play, and he shoots a lot of 76, 70, 75s, maybe a seventy four occasionally. Well, that's the kind of guy I had to recruit, and I had to think, okay, I could nurture him along and lower his stroke average and and um, let, watch, allow him to mature into becoming a good player. I have no chance of doing that now. I, I can't take that player anymore. I, I have to go out there and, and take that guy that's got seven or eight years of experience playing junior golf, and, and if they've got 75, 76, and 77s on their resume, I have no chance with that guy. So the game has gotten to that point. Uh, so it's, 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 it's kind of closed the door a lot for that marginal player. They, they, they really don't have much chance now at collegiate golf. So you got to be pretty good when you start, and then you got to get a lot better by the time you leave. So that's, the, that's probably the, 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 the most Im, 
that's probably the most mind-boggling thing about the game itself. And there are so many, so many um, players that, that have a teacher now. You know, they don't, back in the day, I would go recruit a player and, and they may have seen their pro and may have gotten a few lessons growing up, but most of them were self-taught. And you don't get any self-taught players anymore. They're all, you know, they've all been with a teacher or they've been with two or three teachers or they've been with two or three swing gurus. And, you know, the the not only the technology, but the, the level of instruction has gotten so advanced at this stage in time that you really um, got to be a good player to make it in college now. Over the years, Jacksonville State's had some fantastic golfers, and among those are PGA pros Matt Wallace and Danny Willett, and obviously Danny went out and won the Masters a few years ago. What does it mean to you as a coach to see guys like that go to the next level and be successful? Well, you know, I, 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 I look at um, Matt and Danny, and um, both of them are in the top 35 in the world professional ranks. Um, and, you know, Danny's got a uh, – he, he's got seven or eight wins on the European Tour. He's got Masters Championship. Um, and then, then Matt's got four or five wins on the European Tour. And he got a third-place finish last year in the PGA Championship. Uh, and and – uh, you go to Augusta a year ago, uh, 2019, and JSU had two guys playing in the Masters, and we were one of one of seven schools that had multiple players. One of seven, and we were the only low-tier school that had that. You know, everybody else's Big Five or or or, or major type school. Uh, so that. I mean that's 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 kind of mind-boggling to think about a, a a school of our size, and we're not known as as a golf school. Obviously, we've got a good golf program, and we've got some tradition tradition here. We've had some good teams, we've had some good players, but you know, you, you, when you think of a golf school, you're thinking about Florida, you're think, thinking about Oklahoma State, you're 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 thinking about uh, schools, you know, that that have won multiple national championships, Houston teams like that. Um, so uh, for us to have two in the, in, in Augusta playing with the big guys, uh, that just kind of puts a stamp on our program that schools like JSU, they just don't have that. They don't have that stamp and, and we've got it here. And, uh, you know, we've got some guys, we've got some present guys now. Jesus is going to have a chance to be a top, top flight, uh, professional player. Kim Vidalmara may have that chance as well. We got Tomas Anderson in the past. It's probably going to make it one day. Uh, so, uh, you, you know, um, a guy that wants to come here and play golf, he can come here and play golf and follow that same path that Danny Willett and Matt Wallace followed. And they can get the same kind of education here school-wise and they can get the same practice facilities, and they can get the same kind of encouragement. And so uh, that opens a lot of doors for us recruiting-wise. And, and and so, uh, you know, for me, I can I can get into an international house now, and I can drop Danny Willett and Matt Wallace's name, 
and that gives me automatic credibility. Talking about the practice facilities, you're able to practice in the baseball stadium now over in the indoor. Mm-hmm. You've got special nets for guys to go over there and hit. Uh, Coach K said he still needs to bill you for those nets. But tell me about what that's done for you as far as being able to get inside and hit when it's when it's wet outside, you can't get to Silver Lakes. Well, it was it was uh, invaluable to us this year with the, the wet spring that we had. You know, it wasn't that cold that we couldn't get out and play golf and play outdoors. But it was just so so wet at times, and we had so much rain, and we had so much rain so often. Uh, just to be able to get inside and and work on you know the great thing about playing indoors or swinging into a net is you you can work on sheer technique because you don't really know where the ball is going to land. So you, you don't have to focus on. Was it 20 yards right, 20 yards left? Uh, did it hook? Did it slice? Did it, did it um, uh, you know, did it go straight? You, you don't have to worry about those things. When you, so you can really just focus on the swing mechanics and the swing technique. And so that was really great for our players. And just to be able to get in and, and keep their golf swing um, oiled and primed so when they were able to go back outdoors, we didn't lose any ground this year that we over the past uh, 20 years, you know, by not being able to have a place to go indoors that that's really handicapped us to a great extent. Uh, but it's, 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 it's something that's going to be a plus down the road and it's going to be a plus for a long, long time for us. Well, coach, this is our, First week back in the office. Uh, it feels good to be kind of getting back to normal, good to sit down with you face-to-face. You were telling Coach Harper the other day that you felt good enough to get five minutes in a game. Is he? Did he agree to give that to you? No, 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 <laughs> no, no, no. Nobody believes I can still get five rebounds in a game. And I don't no, – you know what? Uh, I have to keep telling myself or I wouldn't believe it either, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, we had a – Email from interim president Don Killingsworth just the other day. I'm sure you saw it where the golf league's maybe going to get off the ground this summer. And so hopefully you and I get to get paired up a few more times this summer and play a little golf and uh, enjoy that. And I've, I've certainly enjoyed this conversation. Thank you, Tyler. It's been, it's been nice. That'll do it for this week's edition of Behind the Beak. I hope that you and yours are healthy, and I will talk to you again next week. I'll be back Tuesday with a brand new episode and another guest. With that, I'm Tyler Brown saying thank you for listening and go Gamecocks. This has been Behind the Beak, the official podcast of Jacksonville State Athletics. Look for new episodes each week or browse the archives on the Apple Podcast app or by visiting jsugamecocksports.com. For more on Jacksonville State Athletics, visit the official website of the Gamecocks, jsugamecocksports.com, and follow JSU on social media by searching at JSU Gamecocks on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.